Welcome to School Choice Report, where we explore everything about one of the most important education topics. I'm your host, David Hardy. In this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, educators, and parents to get a deep dive into the world of school choice. Whether you're an advocate, skeptic, or just curious, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with the conversation. Today, my guest is Guy Shiraki. Guy recently joined Commonwealth Foundation as a senior fellow. Guy's a lifelong Pennsylvanian and has held many positions in government and in private industry, recently with Chester County Chamber of Commerce, before that with the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Please welcome Guy Shiraki. How you doing, Guy? Doing well, Dave. Good afternoon. How are you? Just fine. Glad to see you here. So you're new at Commonwealth. That's a great thing. You joined us as a fellow. Tell us about your new role and all the places you you could have landed. Why did you uh, land at Commonwealth? Yeah, well, thanks for the welcome. It's been great so far. I've gotten to a point in my career in life where I set out and said, I want to go somewhere where I wake up each morning and I'm excited to go to work. And I found it. Uh, I've been working on school choice for decades and the ability to work with families, to work with schools, to work with scholarship organizations and help them expand choice, to talk about it on the radio, write columns about it, to try and spread the word and grow our number of supporters, increase opportunities in school is an exciting possibility. So I'm very blessed. There are rare occasions where you get to do something that you love. And I love working on school choice and the chance to join Commonwealth, which is really at this point, the leading organization in Pennsylvania doing it. For us to work together is a great opportunity, and I look forward to uh, hopefully uh, bringing some successes to a lot of families across Pennsylvania. That sounds great. Now, as somebody who's been on the inside of state government, what gets the attention of lawmakers and incentivizes them or pressures them to do something to act? As you know, I think folks would be surprised to realize two things. Whenever I talk to parent groups, I share with them two things. One is how so few comments come in. I mean, that on a typical, you know, a legislator may vote on 50 pieces of legislation a week and not hear anything about a lot of them. So personal notes, personal phone calls, personal visits, a personal email mean a lot. Uh, So one well-written, heartfelt email, look, you don't have to be the greatest writer and you don't have to, you uh, you know, have a perfect column or note or give the best speech ever. You just have to write to a legislator or look him or her in the eye and explain why school choice is important to you, why the school your child goes to is great, or why the school you want her to go to, you can't get her in because you can't afford it. Just come from the heart. And I think folks would be surprised to realize how a few really impassioned notes or messages make a difference. And second is, I always try to dispel the myth. I think sometimes people think that legislators are geniuses. That we think somehow once these folks get elected, they become experts in everything, healthcare, medicine, crime, school, transportation, and and that if we talk to them, they're going to stump us with a question. And my experience is most legislators know what they know. They, They know the world they came from. They were insurance agents or lawyers or teachers. That's what they know. So don't ever be intimidated by talking to a legislator or a member of the staff. Speak from your heart. Explain why school choice is important to you. Explain why scholarships have changed uh, your child's life or why you need one to change her life. 
and it'll be very impactful. So never underestimate taking the time to write, call, or visit, and never be intimidated. Speak from the heart. It's not a debate. You're just telling your story. You want to make sure our elected officials hear directly from you. Tell me, what kind of misconceptions have you seen among parents and advocates that you work with? What mistakes have you seen them make? I think when when parents try to uh, make themselves become expert and they and they write long-winded letters or have long speeches and talk about studies and what have you. Look, Dave, you've devoted your life to education. Good results matter. Good good stats matter, right? Facts Absolutely. matter. At the same time, meeting with a legislator and reading him or reading her a laundry list of studies about Colorado or Wisconsin or Arizona, that's nice. But speak about your story because nobody knows your life better than you. Nobody knows your neighborhood better than you. Nobody knows the schools that your kids have to go to better than you. So I think sometimes, look, facts matter, reality matters, but I think sometimes folks feel like they have to swallow an encyclopedia and then spit it back to a legislator, when what we really need is for people to speak from their heart and tell real-life stories. I think the, the second is the sense that, that it doesn't matter, and, and it does. Look, some it's like life. I mean, some people have their minds made up, and we say, you know, it's like talking to a wall. That's true for legislators. Sometimes they have their minds made up. But a lot of them, especially the folks who just got elected in the last few years, they're still learning their way. They're still finding their way. So it does matter. So I think the two biggest misconceptions are that you're supposed to bury them with facts and figures and that, oh, what's the difference? It doesn't matter. It sure does. It sure does. And, and you never want to throw up your hands and say it's not worth the time. Of course it's worth the time. We're talking about your child's education your grandchild's education, the quality of life in your neighborhood. That, of course, that matters. And you should do everything you can to try and influence it positively. If you look across Pennsylvania and the school choice landscape, where do you see Pennsylvania today? I mean, we've, we've been in this now for about 30 years. How do you think we're doing? Not well. Not well. Look, it, it's sort of the best of times and worst of times. We were one of the first states to bring in charter schools. We were one of the first states to have education scholarships. And then we've been in somewhat of a holding pattern. Now, in the last few years, Commonwealth and others have helped and we've made some great strides. But here's why I say, you know, not well compared to others. A lot of states that weren't even thinking about school choice have now caught us and passed us, like our neighbors in West Virginia. But here's the other reason. Here's the real life reason. We have a lot of work left to do. And you know this because you deal with it every day. There are there were at least last year seventy seven thousand children who applied to get a scholarship and simply couldn't because we couldn't convince the legislature to increase the program. There are about forty thousand children who'd like to go to a charter school but can't get in because politicians have limited the number of charter schools or limited number number of seats. That means there's over a hundred thousand children whose parents or guardians want them to be somewhere else. And because of the politics of things, they're not there. Can you imagine? I mean, there aren't a lot of other things that government does where we could, we could in one or two pieces of legislation, change the lives of 100,000 children. So where I think we are is we made a good start, and then we sort of got stuck in the mud. The last few years, we've made some progress, but with 100,000 children on different waiting lists whose parents want them to be somewhere else so they can succeed, where there's people willing to take them and educate them and offer them a new chance, we have a lot of work to do. So 
great start. It's time to get our act back together and get back to a leadership role in Pennsylvania. Well, you know, those milestone pieces of legislation back in the 90s and early 2000s, they were met with a whole lot of resistance once they came, were, were enacted. And there's a whole, a whole apparatus set up to oppose their growth. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is one of the, the most bizarre things. And it reminds us that while we're fighting to try and help children, some people are more focused on power and politics. And that is this. When, when folks like you and I talk to legislators or talk on the radio or podcasts or, or when families talk about the need for more choice, we're not. Nobody disagrees. Nobody disagrees that it's working. What do I mean by that? Their charter schools have worked so well that there are 40,000 kids on waiting lists to get in. Education scholarships have worked so well that 76,000 kids were cut out when there is need. So what the problem is, is you and I don't have to prove to them and moms and dads don't have to prove that it works. We have to prove that something that works should expand. But there is this establishment of the teachers union and school boards association, you know, sort of the status quo, the folks that have a vested interest in keeping the things the way they are because it's in their personal financial interest, they've put that ahead of the kids. And that's why the folks like you and I and the many people we work with and the parents groups we work in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and everywhere, we have our work cut out for us. The good news is we know it's right in our heart, but the reality is we know it's right because 100,000 parents are knocking on the door asking to continue and grow what's already been there. Like I said, we don't have to prove it works. We know it works. Parents and grandparents and guardians are banging on the door trying to get their kids in. But there is a vested interest to keep things the way they are. We have to get this dialogue and get this conversation back focused on the kids, the successes of the kids who've been able to have choice, but also the kids who have been locked out when we need to unlock the door and let those kids in. Why do you think people tend to miss the idea that if you're in a good school, so you had to do something to get there. You had to move there, move to that neighborhood, or you had to test into that school. But there's something that there was some action that had to happen for you to land in a, in a, a high-performing government-run school. For people who don't have that access, they all suffer in bad schools. Yeah, they, they do. And the result is we all suffer. Right. Talk about these kids on waiting lists, these children on waiting lists. If we can get them into a school they want to be at, to go back to use a phrase I said earlier, that they're excited to get up in the morning and go to, that the parents have faith in, we can change 100,000 lives. There aren't a lot of other things where you can do that. But just as important for those children, their families are better positioned, their communities better off. You're better. Off. Look, whether you care about economics or morality or quality of life, we're all better off every time a child finds a school where he can succeed or when she can succeed. We're all better off when that happens. And anything that holds them where they are hurts us all. Look, I ask people just to think about, let's think about what's happened since the COVID virus and the pandemic and the lockdowns. Folks may be surprised. In 2021, more children changed schools in one year than at any time in Pennsylvania's history. More children changed schools. And why? Because the school was locked down or 
they had mask mandates or the extracurricular activities were canceled or parents found out what was going on at school and they didn't like it. But I remind all those families that switched, you switched because you had the ability to move your child. Thousands of parents, the kids in Philadelphia, the kids in Pittsburgh that were locked out, some of them didn't see their teacher face to face for a year or more. Those kids were locked out and those parents couldn't move because they couldn't just pack up their family and say, hey, we're all moving to Quakertown, get in the car. They couldn't do that. And so not only those children were left behind, their families were harmed and the community was harmed. So yes, when you wind up at a Catholic school, a Quaker school, a charter school, or you just moved to a good neighborhood, you did that by your choice. All we're saying is let other folks have that opportunity because not every family Look, not every family can say, well, my school's locked down. My kid doesn't like learning online. I'm going to send my daughter to Episcopal Academy. Well, God bless you, but not everybody has $47,000 sitting around in a checking account. And, and you and I, I'm not asking for everybody to get $47,000. I'm asking, I'm just asking that the money that we would normally give that kid through, ta- through Harrisburg, just let mom, let mom take it to another school and find it. The charter school down the block or in the next town over that has, that's been artificially capped or limited in how many students. Let's take the caps off. Let's let those kids in. So you're right. Lots of parents make good choices. Lots of other parents know the choice they want to make. They're just being artificially blocked by the status quo. And that's why we're fighting. So those kids aren't locked out. There are places in Pennsylvania that have no charter schools. Okay. And they have, you know, no brick and mortar charter schools for people to go to. But they do. They still have people who go to cyber schools, and the cybers seem to get a lot of negative attention from the status quo. Why do they? Why are they so uh, harsh on the cybers? Because they work. <laughs> <laughs> because because since twenty since twenty twenty and the lockdowns, cyber schools have more than doubled in population. It's the fastest growing part of education in Pennsylvania. They went from a little over 30,000 to nearly 70,000 students. That's bigger than Harrisburg. Nearly 70,000 students are now in cyber schools. So again, if if you're if you don't care if you don't really care about kids and you care about power and money and the status quo, you're angry when people have choice because you lose those kids and you lose those dollars. Look, cyber schools we're in a world where we've all just spent the last two years doing Zoom calls and Teams meetings. People are getting people are getting their college degrees or getting their masters or learning different skills by participating in classes online. People are doing collaboration around the world online. Some people respond to that very well. And for some kids who've experienced bullying or anxiety, this is their only option. So why is there opposition? Like everything else, there's opposition because it works. It's opposition because parents are clamoring for it. And you and I want to make sure that more kids have those choices. And and anybody that wants to take away their funding or shut them down or cut them off or limit them, it's obvious they don't have the kids in mind. It's obvious that they're concerned about their own power. Now, I can't speak for every school district in Pennsylvania, but for a lot of the larger school districts, you would think that this threat on their enrollment would be motivation to change, to to do things differently. Instead of that, what you see is them doubling down on their opposition to any other alternatives. 
how how long do you think the public's going to put up with that? I, look, I hope they don't, and I hope they recognize. I hope people recognize everything that you said, which is one: lots of families make choice. They make those choices because they write a check. They make those choices because they do research and they move, or they make those choices because they do their research and they find a charter school or another school their, their kid can go to. I, I hope those families that have choice understand that it's in everybody's interest for everybody to choose. I hope employers understand the more children that go to a school that help them succeed, helps the economy, helps them find a workforce, helps us all find, a new, find new entrepreneurs. So I hope people, the growing coalition, of, of parents and people that have benefited will join in with us and, and realize that it's a positive for everybody. Nobody benefits when a child's stuck in a school where they're not learning. Nobody benefits when a child goes to a school where they're not safe. Nobody benefits from a school where a child's not performing and, and not learning. And look, you know, back at the beginning, things like charter schools were created. One of the reasons they were created was so that new types of schools could be tried. Schools devoted yes. to science or, or Latin or, or, or music, or we would try team teaching or multi-grades or tracks or different things, collaboration. And in large part, those things have worked. And instead of the public schools, the, the, the traditional public schools embracing that change and learning from that change and adapting, they fight the change. And that's what's so frustrating. Again, it's what I keep saying. You and I are fighting for something that clearly works, and the only people against it are people that have their own interest and don't have the interest of the kids. Well, I, I've said this all along, that if I ran a school district, I'd look at charter schools and I'd steal all their ideas and make school make, make my schools do them, and then that way I could compete. Yeah. But you, you never see that. No, instead, instead I, I, I heard a, a, an administrator recently say, uh, well, well, it was com- talking about a comparison between uh, his, his schools and his in his district and the charters. So, well, of course, the charters uh, succeed. They're allowed a lot more freedom and they're allowed to try different things and new ideas. They should try living under my rules. And I sort of slapped my head and said, <laughs> no, Goofy, the other way around. Yeah. You should try and yeah. do what they're doing and learn because the goal is not about being right. It's about helping the students learn. And if the kids are learning at the school across the street, like you said, go figure out what they're doing and, and, and help offer it. Because, again, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. It's about the kids. Well, it is kind of a contest because the fact is, if the charter schools don't perform, they get close. People leave. And so they know they have to perform. The public schools refuse to acknowledge that they're in the contest. And for a lot of years, there was no competition. But now that it's there, I mean, that that fighting is not a good, that's not the way to, to win this thing. Well, again, we have to get the focus back on on the students and, and build our team. And our team is people who've already had the benefit of school choice, the families that recognize the opportunity, the people stuck on waiting lists, the employers that are cry, uh, crying out saying they can't find employees. You know, I, I need students that can write a paragraph. I need students that can follow instructions. I need people that can work independently. Well, then you need schools that work. I mean, that's what we all need. And the, again, the only people holding us back are, are the ones who are more interested in power money instead of the kids. Again, if, if, 
education scholarships didn't work. If school choice didn't work, why are 77,000 kids on waiting lists waiting for scholarships? If charters didn't work, why are 40,000 kids on waiting lists? If cyber education didn't work, why did they more than double in the last three years? But the facts are on the facts are on our side. Reality is on our side. Now it's just a political battle. And we have to be willing to to speak out, go to see legislators, go to meetings, go to town halls, talk to our legislators, send notes, send emails, knock at their door and be seen and heard. And, and again, whether you're, you're a parent or you benefit it yourself or you're an employer, that's who we need. Everybody to say, look, we, we need more opportunities. We need more kids getting in more good schools and then everybody wins. Well, what do you, how do you see things going forward? We've got a new governor. We've got a, a split legislature. But we still have this high demand for school options. What do you see? on the horizon for Pennsylvania? I, I think there's an enormous opportunity with, with a new governor and new legislators. I think there's an enormous opportunity because what's happening, as you know, because you follow this issue very closely, uh, the new opportunities that are coming about in Florida and West Virginia, Iowa, Arizona, Wisconsin, this is now a national movement. And look, every state's different, but every state has similar problems. There are poor communities, the Republicans fight with the Democrats. The city people fight with the rural people. There are unions. But somehow in West Virginia, somehow in Arizona, somehow in Florida, somehow in Texas, somehow in Wisconsin, they're figuring it out. So it's time for us to figure it out here. So, look, I have to be hopeful. It's why I get up every day. I have to be hopeful. I'm a realist. It's not going to be easy, but I'm hopeful because I think the coalition's growing. And I think the last few years of seeing so many people change schools and look, the nightmare of what you and I see being from the Philadelphia area happening every day as 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 more and more problems happen in Philadelphia, as as the test scores fall, as the schools that were supposed to be academic pursuing academic excellence or putting the excellence on hold as the buildings aren't safe for the children to breathe in them. Parents have got to raise their voice and say, that's unacceptable. I remember years ago, there was a state senator two decades ago that said, you know, when the new when the new superintendent shows up and says, I'm optimistic, I have a five year plan to turn it around. What do you do when your daughter's 10? Mm hmm. You say, I'm not sticking around for the five year plan. I'm going to I'm going to take my daughter somewhere else. And if in five years you guys figure it out, maybe we'll be back. So now's the time for us to raise our voices and be heard. I've never seen any of those five year plans work. What I've seen is a slight increase in years one, two, maybe three. Then it starts going down. And by year five, everybody's seen that the plan isn't going to work. And it's a new superintendent. Well, they spend a year creating the developing the plan. And, and then shopping it around and then explaining it to the teachers and the administrators how it's going to work and explaining it to the parents. And then they start doing it and then they have to fix it. And now you've wasted three years. Right. I mean, again, you, you and I have been around a long time, you know, and, and like the like the movie about school choice waiting for Superman. Superman's been to Philadelphia five or six times and, and they've tried it every which way. They've had a local school board problems, a state appointed school board problems, a mayor appointed school board problems. We've broken the we've broken the city into pods, groups, partnerships. Right. They've tried everything except learning from the schools that work. 
They've tried everything except learning from the charter schools at work. And and what I say to folks is like, look, you you ran you ran a school, you're still in education. Everybody says, well, you know, the kids are poor and they're single family homes. I said, yeah, but there's a school down the block where everybody's poor and most of the kids have only one parent and those kids can read. And and so so let's not ever blame poverty. Look, I know all about rough and my dad died while I was in school. I, I know all about rough and lots of people had it far, far worse than I did. And lots of families have it far rougher. But some schools overcome those obstacles. And after 50 years of complaining about those obstacles, I'm tired of hearing about the complaints and the excuses because they're, they're education leaders and teachers that have figured it out. We didn't just invent poor people. We just didn't invent single parent homes. We didn't just invent people that, that don't have English as their primary language. We've been dealing with those things in America since the beginning of time. It, it, and we have schools that work. So now is the time. No more excuses. Let's get kids into schools that work. Guy Shiraki, thank you for joining me today. It's been a great conversation. And thank you for all the work you do on behalf of the children. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And I look forward to more and more victories. That's it for today's episode of School Choice Report. I hope you found the conversation enlightening and informative. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at schoolchoicereport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is David Hardy signing off. Thanks for tuning in.